So Maria, when you're thinking about planning vacations, what's on your mind? When I'm thinking about planning a vacation these days, you know, I'm still excited about going and seeing new places and experiencing wonderful new foods and cultures. But more and more, I find myself entering this sort of rhythm of the year where I definitely need an enormous break after each semester where I just want to do nothing. And then also I'm finding that I want to make sure I carve out time for my family. So like I've started getting a beach house every year in the Outer Banks in North Carolina with my brother and his wife and kids. And that's the kind of old people vacation I would never have thought in my 20s that I would want, but I just so look forward to it every year, you know, like all of us in one house, just spending time with my niece and nephew, we're like barbecuing and going down to the ocean every day. And so yeah, like I'm finding that my my approach to vacation is starting to shift. What about you? I think of vacation as this like very serious math equation that will never ever balance out for me. Oh man. So I'm trying to solve, yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm trying to solve a bunch of things. Okay, so I've got like X weeks a year and I need for them to fulfill all of these categories. I need to make sure I spend adequate time with family. Mm -hmm. I need to feel like I have time to get away with friends. Mm -hmm. I think that traveling with friends is such a great way to spend like serious time with each other in a way that you can't in day-to-day life. Obviously it has to be the right friends, but it can be really meaningful. I think about like making sure I have new adventures to places I haven't been to before. I definitely want to feel relaxed. I definitely want to not bankrupt myself from the vacation. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of through it all, I would eventually think about having kids. Like I kind of feel like I want to like max out pre-baby time Mm. and do all of these things. And so I have this like limited, like last year it was two weeks a year to, to do all of these things. That's so impossible. And it's just like, it's impossible. I'm never going to win this. I'm never going to be able to solve the equation, but it's kind of on my mind. So this year I tried to be a little more intentional about it and be like, okay, here are the blocks of time. Each one of these blocks is dedicated to maybe one of these goals. And like, maybe I can make it to the end of the year and like survive (laughs) feel fulfilled but maybe my expectations for myself are setting me up for failure well or maybe the number of days you have allocated off for vacation are setting you up for failure fair boom boom Hello and welcome to In Theory, the podcast where we talk about the theories that help us make sense of the world. I'm Naran Khan. And I'm Maria Sachiko Ciceri. We're talking about vacation and leisure, how and why we spend our free time. Part of what we'll be talking about today, um, we'll be thinking about how other Americans have been approaching vacations, especially in recent years, uh, with the rise of more accessible travel information, and also the constant pressure not to take vacation days that's happening in the U.S. So I guess one of the big questions here is who gets to take a vacation? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging the fact that we're kind of Americans situated in the American context, but, you know, our perspective is shaped by that. There's no legal entitlement to vacation in the U.S., so not everyone gets vacation in the way that they do in other countries. So I'm going to share some information done by the Center for Economic and Policy Research, Mm -hmm. which indicates that, A, the U.S. is the only advanced economy in the world that doesn't guarantee 
it's workers paid vacation Boom. but like b there are all these other countries in the world that guarantee up to 30 days wow and that's on top of vacation like on top of weekends and holidays that kind of thing totally and so a lot of countries have guaranteed 20 days but again it goes up from there mm-hmm. and even like Australia and New Zealand have 20 days. Canada and Japan have at least 10 paid days off. Mm -hmm. So it's this paid time off that's really different about the U.S. and I think kind of disappointing. I did want to kind of point out this juicy bit of information, which is beyond this guaranteed paid time off, certain countries have additional time off permitted. And the two that come to mind are Switzerland. Workers under the age of 30 who do volunteer work are entitled to an additional five days of annual leave. So good. Yeah, right? And in Norway, older people above the age of 60 get another week. So they're playing fast and loose in all sorts of other ways in in all sorts of arguably awesome ways. Yeah. I love that because it shows that they're thinking about these vacation days, especially in this case of the Switzerland one, where they're thinking about them not just, oh, I guess we have to give our workers days off so they don't die on us, but that there's like a larger social benefit when we give people some leisure time. So if workers under 30 are working with young people and giving back to their communities, they want to enable them to do that by giving them some more time. And we've seen more companies in America here and there trying to do that. I know like Patagonia is really famous for having like famously not crap working conditions. Yep. Um, it includes things like days of volunteering and that sort of thing. Why don't we do that more widely? I actually have this like inkling feeling that like most Americans don't know how much vacation other people get. Mm. And if they were to know, it would be like mass riots. <laughs> I know. I mean, put it into context. 20 days off paid, if you include weekends, just do the math. It's four paid weeks off a year. Party all the time. Right? (laughs) And that's not even the upper limit necessarily of what we're seeing in some of these places. Totally. So I guess the big question here is why is this difference between the U.S. and the rest of the world so dramatic? Why is this the case? It could be a million different reasons. I think one of them is people working multiple jobs, people needing to work multiple jobs because of wages or the cost of living or whatever whatever else. That sort of situation doesn't permit people to have time away or time off. Yeah, and, and that speaks directly to the fact that there's no mandated vacation, right? Right. So a lot of people will be cobbling together jobs or be layering things on top of each other. And since there isn't a mandated vacation from the state, then that's it, right? No no real options right. there. And I think this probably only speaks to a narrow subset of American workers, but people have indicated anxieties related to the work that piles up while you're away and you know, not being able to manage things and not feeling like you can get away because of the goals and metrics and things like output that's expected of you. Oh, so these people are like not taking their vacation days? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Or like certain companies have policies of like unlimited vacation, but they're realizing that that's beneficial for them because it's a great selling point for workers. But then no one really takes any more vacation and sometimes they take less vacation than if they had the specific amount. Uh-huh. And I mean that kind of conflates paid and unpaid, but the idea is like people just aren't making time for it or don't feel like they're permitted to do it. Right. So there's like a larger cultural problem there. Yeah. And then sometimes people feel like they're saving it up for something. Like they know something's going to happen. I feel like I kind of fell prey to that a little bit too. Mm. I think this like big amazing thing is going to happen to me, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> Well, or it always is. No day like today. Right. Fair. So there's a lot of reasons behind this. Policy reasons, obviously. Companies and businesses creating a culture where that's not possible because of output and quarterly earnings and reports and Mm -hmm. accountability, public accountability in ways that just we haven't had before. Yeah. And I mean, this idea that 
at the end of the day, an organization or a company would always see itself in terms of productivity, but also in terms of the overall happiness of its workers. I mean, we've talked about him before, but Max Weber put forward a very useful theory to help us think about like what kind of a culture that is, like how did we get to this sort of totally productivity-focused culture in America? And that book is The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And it attributes a lot of this culture of work, work, work to, or what he refers to as the Protestant ethic, which is like not to say that everyone's walking around still having these Calvinist ideals, believing (laughs) that, you know, if I don't work, then I'm not going to be one of the elect that's got salvation. But it does have, like, basically his argument that that mindset of, like, you can measure salvation and goodness by how productive somebody is or you can kind of see whether or not there's someone who's like selected to go to heaven by what how productive they are that's really entered into our kind of public consciousness and helped to build this spirit of capitalism that's so important to America where if you're not being productive you actually feel not just like oops I should have gotten more done but like I'm a bad person You know, the Christian's work ethic is the opposite of the world's entitlement cry. Isn't that what we hear and see? The world says we're entitled to dot, dot, dot. You fill it in. We're entitled to it. You know, we're not entitled to anything. And I can remember as a young uh, fellow going into the business world where Hard work meant that you got a good paycheck. And now hard work still means a good paycheck. And that kind of value system imbues so much of our public policy and our expectations of people across society. Tell me more. You know, like the notion of the welfare queen from like the mid-1990s. This like person that's like that's abusing the system and is choosing not to work and that the designation of being a bad person is prevalent on anyone who's seen as being lazy or not working for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Totally. Including people who are on like disability. People who are on disability in, in the rhetoric of politicians, there are always people who are on the fringes of the policy, but like there is this narrative that's really despicable that puts value judgments on people who are not working in the ways other people are working. Sure, we all want to have an economy that works and we all want to see wealth spread around and people doing well. But the idea that we would be so disdainful of someone enjoying time not working, that's pretty crazy. Like that's a huge cultural claim to make that we are not comfortable with just letting each other take some time off and enjoy your life. Yeah, like gap years. Like there's just all these like European things that like, you know, you know, folks having a couple of years to travel, just like they're not norms here. Yeah. And people seem itinerant, lazy, not going anywhere if they maybe don't participate in the kind of traditional system. Oh man, like the crazy track from high school to college to grad school to, you know, I feel like I'm constantly trying to advise students like just take, you know, this is the time, take a little time off. Yeah. Do something else, (laughs) go work in a flower shop in Paris, like just do something else. But that relentless need to achieve is really, um, it's really eating away at our vacation days. (laughs) I should also add, like, I I should add that, like, I, I am so guilty of this myself. And it's hard for me to get in a headspace where I can, 
Like in abstract, I understand this is important and I'd like to think my value system is different, but like in my day to day, I'm pretty hard on myself mm-hmm. and it's really hard not to adopt these mindsets, but you know, always well, good to know. The totally. more you know. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> the spirit of capitalism that we all live in, we don't have to agree with it for it to be part of our culture and we can try and negotiate it each for ourselves. Totally. Okay, so then if we know that we have this driving force constantly pushing us to not take vacation and also like no state mandated vacation days that makes it hard to have it but what's the point why should we be doing it in the first place other than that it's fun Maria we need vacation (laughs) (laughs) so we've got this driving need to not take time off and we're also being told in America at least that we don't have a right to a lot of time off but Why should we be taking time off? Well, there is this kind of prevalent idea in the business world that time off or time away can enhance one's creativity and inspiration and lead them to be better workers, either more productive or more creative in a way that's like beneficial to the company or the organization or the institution. Mm -hmm. And these ideas have their roots throughout the 20th century. And I'd say one example is the fact that there's this contemporaneous narrative from 1930 raised by Keynes, who said that by 2030, technology would bring us to a 15-hour work week. That was in an essay titled Economic Prospects for Our Grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say that that is not how stuff went down. Uh, Spirit of capitalism, why? Contrary to what the four-hour workweek guy will have you think, we are using technology to enhance our productivity, but not necessarily to buy back the leisure time that we may have once had or that we feel like we're at some point entitled to. And so it's just such a different mindset. But I, I would say that like I'm pretty sympathetic to the research about creativity and time away and the opportunity to take a step back, even mm-hmm. anecdotally based on my own experiences. I don't know if you feel that way. Do you come back to your work rejuvenated when you've had time away? Definitely. Especially, you know, doing work where a lot of it is thinking based for writing. Yeah. I mean, having time mm-hmm. off is like helps you kind of clear your mind. And one of my main goals when I'm on vacation is usually to be away from email and away from kind of administrative tasks and that sort of thing. Because yeah. it really helps me kind of step away and get a bigger picture look at all of it. But it's really interesting because like there's sort of one narrative then for why it's so important to take vacation is because it's actually more productive for the economy, right? And it's actually (laughs) like better for our work lives. But then there's also like another narrative, right? If you think back to where holidays come from, we're like, because in the UK, instead of saying vacation, they say going on holiday. Yeah. And the word holiday actually comes from the word, the words holy day, right? So like a day off for Saint's Day or some other religious vacation or even the Sabbath. And the idea that you spend this day not working in contemplation or celebration to have a kind of improvement of inner life for personal betterment. I think that's also a really important part of what vacations and time off can or should be. Totally. So that there's this productivity for like the larger economy or for the workplace, but then also it's just like to have a life that's not crap. We need time to think and to create and to just like be and experience as autonomous human beings that aren't just cogs in someone else's work machine. 
What's so funny is I actually think that resonates with me and I think it's so powerful, but I don't think any policy progress that will ever be made on this will be on the base of anything other than the productivity narrative. Which is jacked because I know. Did, didn't you tell me? <laughs> would, did you show me that the the idea, the right to leisure, is actually in the UN Human Rights Charter? Yeah, it's in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Article twenty four has the right to rest, which is actually really beautifully put. Every everyone has a right to to rest and leisure, including reasonable limitation of working hours and periodic holidays with pay. Bam! It's so real, and it's so. I think it's part of affording people dignity, right? Mm-hmm. I so agree. Unfortunately, that's not how things work. It's just like not not what drives policy, I think. So this idea that we have the right to leisure, I think it's really important because I think it it's that time to do other things or to think about things other than work that affords us a fuller life that isn't centered around work mm-hmm. and that can inadvertently create some of the most joyous things in life. Totally. Like the ability to cook and prepare food for friends and family, the ability to spend time outdoors and appreciate nature. I mean, I, this is getting like super hippy-dippy, but no, but man, I think... That's what it's all about. Are, <laughs> right? Like it's humanity. It's our humanity. Like that time off affords us our humanity and affords us the opportunity to see us as something more than robot workers. <laughs> No, I think that's I think that's so true. And most importantly is that, you know, right now because it's not a law and it's not enforced in any way, it means that the only people who have the opportunity to do do those things are the ones who are lucky enough to have jobs that make it possible and often those are people who are already in better economic circumstances. Totally. So then what we end up doing is creating a situation where some of the most important and beautiful things about being alive and being human are things that only privileged people are going to have time to do. So I think one of the big takeaways here is that Americans don't have much vacation, but that doesn't mean it's not super, super important and something that's fundamental to our identity as civilized humans. And along with that, Unless it's mandatory for everyone, only the people who have the privilege to take advantage of it will be able to to engage in that. And so along with that leisure comes the opportunity to make art, to do thinking, and to have experiences that make life worth living. Mm-hmm. Basically the pursuit of happiness. And we can't have only the privileged parts of society have access to that. So we've been talking about time off and vacation days, but now let's talk about like going on vacation. So I guess one framing of it is the search for an authentic experience, mm-hmm. one that affords the individual to connect with some something different that is what it is and it's true, it's truest sense, as opposed to what it is as presented to the tourist. Mm-hmm. And for a variety of reasons, I think there's a premium put on this in a lot of different ways. And I like I know we like talk about blaming FOMO and social media on like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really relevant here. There is a trend of do-it-yourself vacations for 
there's a whole like you can do a tour, sign up, have all the hand holding and experience something in a facilitated way. Mm-hmm. But there is a drive or a movement and a dominant narrative to do something that's like a little more difficult and that's to curate an experience that's really special to craft your vacation mm-hmm. and to to reach something that is inaccessible to others and to experience it in a way that's more real than the ways in which others do. Which sounds really kind of messed up, but I have to admit <laughs> to just a really offensive amount of research before I go on vacation <laughs> because... <laughs> Because I feel like with all the information that's out there, if I don't have an amazing vacation, the only person I have to blame is myself. That's a that's a big burden to bear. I know. It's like, <laughs> you know, if I don't have the most amazing hotel at the best possible price and in the perfect location that has access to the most exciting and interesting things that are the least touristy in the offensive sense. I I feel like then I've failed. And so I spent all this time trying to put together like just the right vacation. I think that like one could easily be like, oh, I'm not impacted by that. It doesn't affect me. But the thing is, we have such tremendous information available to us. And it's hard to say that you wouldn't take advantage of that. But the problem is like the rabbit hole of doing that in excess. Yeah, there there are diminishing, there are diminishing returns. There totally are, but you, in the in the state of mind that I'm in, when I'm like deep into TripAdvisor, <laughs> you could not convince me of that. Like I would be like, no, there are more returns. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh... Lazy. I just wanna be lazy. I long to be out in the sun with no work to be done. Under that so when things get equalized and more people have access to more things, elites probably want the better version of that thing or the more difficult to obtain version of that mm. thing. And a lot of times that's like the kind of curated experience that requires extra time labor or planning or effort or money. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might have something to do with how people think about those curated experiences. Yeah, totally. But then there's the other side of it, right? Which is... Authenticity can also be totally overrated and maybe like tours, cruises, Disney World, Vegas, baby. (laughs) And I have to admit to you that I have been on a Disney cruise. Shut up. Are you serious? (laughs) It was um, amazing and magical in all kinds of fascinating ways. I can't. How does. Like so many questions. You've been on a Disney cruise. That's I mean, that's something you're going to have with you for the rest of your life. That is true. It was free, which does explain a lot of it. I was very, very lucky that um, one of my dearest friends, Matt, hey Matt, um, who I grew up with, he's an actor, performer, and he was a performer on a Caribbean Disney cruise ship. Oh my gosh. And so, I know. And so he was able to take me for free (laughs) on a week-long cruise in the Caribbean over the new year. And it was like amazing and so fascinating because like every aspect of your trip is completely curated by somebody else for you. And even down to the, the beach 
where you spend your time on the sand because yeah. it's Disney instead of just like dropping you at a beach that like belongs to some actual culture because that would be silly they bought a whole Caribbean island and they completely <laughs> turned it into Disney time at the beach land and they have all these activities and places you can eat and beautiful manicured beaches and there's no danger that you will come across some aspect of this beautiful Caribbean beach which is not Disney perfect that's totally incredible and I think it resonates with a part of me of course I like in some instances I like authenticity and like this special snowflake part of of discovering something Mm -hmm. but the other part of me by the time I make it to a vacation like I'm pre-exhausted from it's just a big enough deal that I booked it Mm -hmm. and I love the idea of abdicating the responsibility and just knowing someone else can be in charge of my whereabouts and what I'm doing and (laughs) in some places like someone else is taking care of the haggling and the payment and everything else so like I don't have to be worried about like like understanding norms someone else handles all of that which is (laughs) kind of lazy but so awesome and so the few times where I've done that it's been incredible I did it um I did it in Myanmar And I just like hired a company to do it and it was so fun and awesome and it wasn't like a big group. It was just like me and me and my subs who I went on the trip with, but it was a relief for me and Mm -hmm. I just felt like I could really enjoy things and relax because I wasn't responsible for anything. It's kind of funny. It makes me think about, you know, we were talking before about holiday, the word holiday coming from holy days and like the, how it implies contemplation and reaching for higher aims. The word vacation comes from to vacate. <laughs> so, <laughs> Your mind. <laughs> there's also just this part of you that's like, yeah, you're like physically vacating. Like I'm no longer at work. I'm getting out of Dodge. But then also like, I just want to vacate my mind for a little while. Yeah. Can you just like figure it out for me and serve me like an ongoing stream of pre-made cocktails? Like that is what I need right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want someone to put me in like a vacation pod like one day in the future where like I experience all the sensory experiences of being at a beach, but like I don't experience sunburn or something. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, actually this is like the perfect, this is the perfect moment <laughs> to bring up um, Jean Baudrillard, who's a French theorist. And he puts forward this idea of the hyper real or something that's more real than real. He has a book called Simulation and Simulacra, and it's all about like imitations. Wow. And one of the things he's really interested in, and he talks specifically about Disneyland, is this idea where we don't just have imitations, but we have imitations that are no longer pegged to any reality and where that fake thing becomes more important or real than any real thing. Mm -hmm. So for example, a vacation pod that would have every perfect aspect of vacation and take out bad things like sunburns yeah. <laughs> would be that he could see that as something that might surpass a real vacation because it's better than the real. It's like it's, it's yeah. become this perfect thing in and of itself. And he talks about things like Disneyland and like Vegas would also definitely fall under this where they imitate things that exist in the real world. So yeah. there's real European castles that the Disney castles are based on and that kind of thing. But at this point, no one is going there and being like, oh, this sort of measures up to that castle in (laughs) France. No, they're like, this is the Disney castle. And so it doesn't refer to anything but itself. And it's like the realest thing it could be is itself. And 
I feel like a lot of these kinds of, I don't want to call them inauthentic vacations. Prefab. Yeah, prefab. Enjoy yeah. the prefab vacation. A lot of those, they are all about the hyper real. Like where you get a version that is better than reality and you just don't even have to worry about what is or isn't real. Do you know what that makes me think of? I've never been to Epcot, but isn't that the one where you have all the cultures of the world and you get to experience them in one place? But I'm pretty sure the idea of it is it, it's like um, it's like a hall of cultures or something, right? Yes, it totally is. Yeah, permanent world's fair. Which is so fascinating. You know, actually, Gabriel was just telling me about this a little while ago. Yeah. And he was saying he's met people, you know, have told him like, oh, I've eaten that food before. You know, he's eaten some like obscure street food from Vietnam or something. And he was like, <laughs> really? Where? And they're like, oh, in the World Hall and Disney. And he's like, what? And and it's crazy because it, it is that sanitized, prefabricated, organized cultural experience where you don't have to worry about like... It's like Orientalist and it like homogenizes entire culture. So I bet you the... The, the part about China is like all Han Chinese and not ethnic minorities <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff, which there's such trade-offs too, because if you're like a kid from Michigan who drives right. 24 hours down, like you get to experience the world and maybe that plants an idea in your head about where life will take you. Exactly. And that's the thing. I don't want to hate on it because, you know, to each their own and there's a lot of different ways to experience the world. I certainly hope it would lead people on to want to have other kinds of experiences, but like we were saying, there's lots of reasons to, to love the prefab. <laughs> Have you ever been on a prefab vacation? Other than... Well, I guess the Disney one. Other than my Disney cruise, not really. And I should also add that my Disney cruise, part of the, the, the glory of my Disney cruise was that I got to stay below decks <laughs> where, with all of the workers. Like Titanic. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> because it was over New Year, there was like a huge like champagne toast at midnight on the top deck for the guests. And then there was like a wild raging reggaeton party below decks for all of the people who work on the boat. And the I'll just How say fun. that, yeah, that was a lot more fun. <laughs> So I think the takeaway here is that whether you're in search for the most authentic curated experience or just want to like sit by the beach and have your pre-made cocktails come to you uh, with all you can eat pizza, <laughs> there are plenty of options and theories to help you understand why you might be interested in either or both. So just to wrap things up, I think it's worth thinking about when we go on vacation, what it is that makes us want to go, what we're looking for, because the, the question of like what is pushing us away from home can help us think about how to have a better life when we get back home. Um, I've been reading this book, Breakfast with Socrates, by Robert Rowland Smith. And in it, he goes through these philosophical ideas behind like little aspects of the everyday. And he has a chapter, he's British, called Booking a Holiday. And in it, he talks about a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here, including different kinds of vacations, what they might look like, where do some of our urges towards vacations come from. And he kind of concludes the whole chapter with this thing, this question about why do we want to go away? And is, are there ways that we can make our life back at home better? And he ends the chapter in a way that I love with a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is about beauty. And the quote goes, though we travel the world over to find the beautiful, we must carry it with us or we find it not. 
And I just love that quote because basically... Swoon. Yeah, exactly. Basically what it says is that as awesome and important as it is to get out there and go see things and take time off, it's most important to kind of... Uh, nurture within ourselves a sense of contentment and beauty because otherwise everywhere we go we're not going to be able to find it there i love that questions comments ideas we'd love to hear from you at in theory podcast at gmail.com you can also find past podcasts and more information about us at in theory.us or on our facebook page please subscribe to us on itunes and recommend us to any and all of your friends seriously please in Theory is produced with the support of Experimental Humanities and the Human Rights Radio at Bard College. Many thanks to our intern, Olive Carol Hatch. Music composition and art design by the sensational Aaron Taylor Waldman. Thanks for listening.